Second reading is from Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 to 31. Listen to the word of the Lord. The angel of God, who was going before the Israelite army, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night, and one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, Let us free from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Abraham Lincoln issued an executive order known as the Emancipation Proclamation, which stated that on the first day of January in the year of our Lord, 1,863, all persons held as slaves within any state shall then, thenceforward, be forever free. And the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authority thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom. Wow. This was a truly great day in our nation's history in which the freedom of the slaves was proclaimed and promised in perpetuity. And we rightly celebrate the Emancipation Proclamation in its attempt to undo the, the wicked and brutal economic system of slavery that had already been in place for 244 years, far older than the country itself. And while the proclamation went into effect on January 1st, 1863, the last slave was not freed for another 
two and a half years on June 19th, 1865 in Galveston, Texas. And though I'm embarrassed to admit it, the Juneteenth holiday is still new to me, even though it is the oldest celebration, national celebration, commemorating the end of slavery in the United States. Juneteenth should be remembered and revered as one of the greatest days in our nation's history. But we know all too well that the work of actualizing President Lincoln's words went well beyond Juneteenth. That day was the beginning of freedom, not the end. And when the Israelites come to the shores of the Red Sea, they were on the doorstep of freedom, yet without hope. Without any horses or weapons, they stood with Pharaoh's chariots in hot pursuit, with water in front of them and nary a boat to be found. Their doom was sealed. And the people began complaining to Moses, saying they would have been better off as slaves in Egypt than to die here in the desert. And who could blame them for thinking this? You may have noticed that in the Scriptures, God has this extraordinary knack of showing up at the moment when things are bleakest. Moses says to his fearful people, don't be afraid, stand your ground and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Lord will fight for you. You just keep still. To be led by people of faith and courage is a rare honor, and their courage is contagious. You may remember the words of another freedom fighter, Princess Leia, who said, hope is like the sun. If you only believe in it when you see it, you'll never make it through the night. Well, that night on the Red Sea, something incredible happened. The God who had heard the cries of her people suffering under Pharaoh's regime showed up in force. And the world has never been the same. The Lord leads the Israelites. He leads them up front and he protects their rear guard. They are surrounded by the presence and protection of God. And as Moses raises his hands over the sea, the waters part and dry ground emerges, and the people walk to freedom on the other side. Now, you may not recognize the different illusions that are going on here, but what the author of Exodus is telling us is that God is recreating the world in and through this event. If we think back to Genesis 1, when God creates the world, what does God do? God separates the waters and dry ground emerges, land on which people can live in freedom and blessing. The author of Exodus is telling us that Pharaoh's empire has not simply been evil. It's more than that. His subjugation and dehumanization of the Israelites was a reassertion of the primordial chaos. His, his empire threatens creation itself. And in the Exodus, 
the Lord reasserts his creative force, wherein humans are not created to be slaves. They're not created to be wealth machines for the elite. No, God created humanity to live together on earth in blessing and abundance, not oppression and exploitation. We were created to be forever free. And the emancipation on the shores of the Red Sea proclaims this loud and clear. Those who had once been slaves are now free, affirming their primal dignity because no one has created a slave. People are forced into it. The truth is that we are each made in the image of God with dignity and potential and the exodus is a triumphal restoration of God's original blessing. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're free at last. The emancipation of the Israelites is the first story of its kind. It remains one of the greatest stories ever told. The vulnerable being delivered at impossible odds. This story of the Exodus is an archetype that has been retold time and time again from the Lord of the Rings to Star Wars, from Yorktown to Juneteenth. We love it when David takes down the unstoppable Goliath. It speaks to us both personally and corporately, and we cheer when Goliath falls. But as we saw with the Passover last week, there is a dark side to the Exodus as well. Israel's emancipation comes with the destruction of Pharaoh's army who were tossed into the sea. And while we cheer in the movies when the bad guy is defeated, it's not hard to have at least a little sympathy for the Egyptians. After all, were they too not made in God's image? Were Pharaoh's soldiers not mere pawns in an oppressive system that they did not create? Of course they were. And the ancient rabbis, they, they understood this. In the Talmud, which is the ancient Jewish commentary on the Hebrew Bible, the rabbis say that at the Exodus, the angels in heaven began to rejoice when Pharaoh's army was defeated and God said back to them, my handiwork are drowning in the sea and you are reciting a song before me. See, God has compassion on all that God has made. And while systems of oppression must be undone, emancipation for all is God's final, final aim, even for the oppressors. And so while emancipation began at the Red Sea, the long march to freedom was just beginning. And it continues in our day as well. Israel would go on to discover what so many revolutions have confirmed time and again, that you can leave your oppression behind you, but still carry the ways of oppression within you. So Israel would go on to the promised land and 
end up creating their own empire where now they were the rulers and they oppressed others until they were overthrown and the cycle just repeats itself again and again. Makes you wonder if we've learned anything in the last 3,000 years. In time, if we're lucky, we learn that there may be enemies outside of us, but the enemy that is within is the most formidable of all. Will we ever be truly free? Our hope is in the same God that those Israelites had so long ago. And what Israel discovers is that the God who liberates is also the God who forgives. And not just once, but always and forever. Liberation and forgiveness go hand in hand. As the psalmist proclaims, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. As far as the east is from the west, so far God removes our sins from us. Thanks be to God. That is good news. This is our hope. There can be no lasting freedom without forgiveness. Jesus knows this storyline, and he picks it up and carries it to completion. Like Israel, Jesus passes through the waters of the Jordan in his baptism where he is named God's beloved son. And his first words in Luke's gospel are that he has been sent by God to release the captives and liberate the oppressed. And that's exactly what he does. Throughout his ministry, Jesus frees and blesses those who are in bondage to sin, to sickness, to oppression. And his liberation movement is perceived as a threat by the religious establishment and the empire that it supports. And so they kill Jesus. And he dies in solidarity with the oppressed, all the while forgiving his oppressors. And when it appears as though all hope was lost and that the kingdom that Christ proclaimed would be crushed under the wheels of the empire, God shows up once more and raised Jesus from the dead. And so the kingdom of freedom and forgiveness lives on. The resurrection promise, it proclaims your emancipation. You are forever free. And for those of us who have been part of oppressive systems that we did not create, well, you are forgiven and you are now free to join the liberation struggle as well. It is not too late. The good news is that the liberating God is also the forgiving God. Not just for some, but for all. God is always on the side of liberation and forgiveness. And you cannot have one without the other. And God's people throughout time have again and again fallen into those patterns of empire and oppression. 
And God does not deal with us according to our sins. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is the measure of God's love for you. And in your baptism, you too are named as the beloved of God. That is who you are. Be who you are. Amen.